Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and this is the Highlighter Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome to the 24th episode of the Highlighter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Icero. And happy 2018 to all of you, and I especially want to welcome all the new listeners. Um, the Highlighter is a podcast, but it's also a newsletter featuring the best articles on race, education, and culture. And this podcast is an opportunity to meet and talk to some great people who are doing good work, and also to talk about some great writing. And And uh, this week is no different. I have Omar Bryan on the show, and he's an excellent educator, a former teacher, now a vice principal at Impact. Academy uh, middle grades in Hayward and he's going to talk about the article Generation Screwed by Michael Hobbs which appeared in the highlighter number 124. I'm really excited to talk to Omar and I think that you're going to totally like this interview so let's get right to it. Hey Omar. Hi Mark. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I am too. First, can you let everybody know a little bit about yourself? Yes, I can. Uh, my name is Omar Bryan. I am originally and was born in Jamaica, um, Jamaica, West Indies. And I emigrated here to the United States um, roughly around the time when I just turned about eight. Um, and I grew up in New York, Long Island, New York. Notice I don't have a Long Island accent. I don't say Long Island. A lot of folks say that a lot, but uh, um, they always w wondered about that. I don't have my Jamaican accent. I don't have a New York accent. Um, I just kind of developed my own way of being able to talk, um, enunciate, I guess. Um, and uh, there is where I grew up with my uh, older brother, O'Neill, uh, my mom, Maxine, and my dad, Garth. Um, and during that time, I developed lots of wonderful friendships and found this fondness for drawing and doing art. Um, when I did that, it took me all the way through high school where I said, you know, I really want to become an animator. I really want to do this. And I, I had an art teacher along the way that really pushed me to take classes outside of school to focus on drawing from life. And that was one of her things that she really pushed me to do. So rather than just drawing cartoons, I started to have this fond appreciation for um, looking at the world in a different way and really capturing that on paper or um, through uh, paint. And that's when I decided to go to art school. Um, when I did go to art school, um, I just found myself immersed in like this wonderful environment of artists who wanted to do so many different things, graphic design, photography, uh, you know, own their own studios. Um, and that's where I really felt at home. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about me and, and you know, I, I'm still an artist at heart, um, but I'm also an educator. Yeah, you are. How did you make the switch and how did that happen? Um, yeah, that, that happened when I was in college. I never thought about being an educator. Um, I was always a really shy person. So for me, I'm thinking about being a teacher, you're up, up front all the time. You're on that grand stage. Um, and that was scary to me. I never thought about doing that. Um, I think it first started when, after my first year in college, I went back to my high school and visited my high school art teacher. I brought my portfolio, showed some of the work that I did in my first year, and she asked me to address her class. It was really nerve-wracking, really scary. 
Um, however, I, I rose to the challenge and um, I shared my work with uh, other students who were juniors and seniors who were thinking about doing art um, and um, even actually connected with a couple students who came out to visit my school and I showed them around. Um, and that was just, it felt great to me to be able to, to offer that to somebody. Um, my high school art teacher did that for me, helped me kind of recognize that I can have an opportunity to pursue art as a career. And now I had this opportunity to support folks in their journey. Um, so when I heard her say that, have you ever thought about being uh, an, art, uh, an educator? I said, mm, not really, but it, it, it could happen. It kept happening as I um, became a resident assistant, um, started supporting students that were uh, transitioning from high school to uh, college. Um, and then this opportunity came to become uh, a part of a, the very first dual degree program at my school where I can continue on in my uh, regular studies, which was illustration and animation. And then I could get my master's in art education. So I said, okay, um, let's give it a try. Let me um, apply for the scholarship because I didn't have the, the means or the finances to be able to pay for, pay for that. Um, and I got the scholarship. Um, so I was like, okay, I got the scholarship. Here's this program, it's new. Um, I, my advisor really like pushed me to try it out. And I went on from there. Um, and it was a wonderful experience for me. Um, I got to learn a lot more about how the educational system came into being. I got to learn a lot more about how I learn and how others learn. Um, it gave me an opportunity to um, take something that I really uh, loved, which is supporting others um, and, and, and turn it into a career. Um, I always saw myself being an animator uh, later on in, down the line, but that for me was more like a self thing. Like this is for me, this is what I want. Um, and I think going into education allowed for me to, to be a little bit more selfless and think about like what I can do to support others. Mm -hmm. And specifically, um, before you became a school leader, you taught um, high school. Was it always high school before moving to middle school? That was always on my mind, mainly because it was when I was in high school that I started to uh, develop this appreciation for art. And I felt like that was where I could support kids um, and help them get into college. That was the idea that helped students really recognize their talents in art and be able to go uh, pursue that, just like my high school art teacher did for me. But while I was studying, um, there was a gentleman in my um, uh, program. His name was Joseph Zaremba. Um, he was a middle school teacher and he taught art. Um, we became really close um, just through class, but also he became my cooperating teacher and basically became my mentor as well. So I did my student teaching at his school, which was an expeditionary learning school um, in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, while working with him, um, something struck me where he said, you know, it's middle school where you really get to really get to grab them, grab their attention and really uh, push their thinking and help them recognize the beauty of art. Not just that, but just also like their place in the world. Um, and th from then on, it really became like this mission for me to like really seek out uh, a art teaching position where I can do or work with middle schoolers. Um, but when I moved all the way from New York to California, that didn't really happen. Um, there wasn't really an art teaching position for a, a new teacher from another state um, in any school. Um, and I ended up starting out as a, a semi-administrator at a school, um, at a high school here in Richmond, California. And when I did that, 
uh, for a couple years, um, I said, you know, I really want to get into the classroom again. And when I got my first teaching job, it was here at Impact and it was teaching high school. Um, so I just kind of followed along that path and I did that for about seven years here at Impact, um, Impact Academy, um, that is. And once I finished those seven years and the opportunity to open up middle school came up, I was like thinking about that whole state of being when I was in college and, and what was said to me um, by my, my, my mentor. Um, I, I, I said to myself, excuse me, um, this is an opportunity for me to really, really grab them, really support them, uh, nurture them and help them get to that, that mission that we've had for a long time, which is to see all students, uh, you know, graduate from high school, um, enter and succeed in college. Yeah, I, it's really interesting, your background and also sort of how you approached and also probably still approach um, the idea of education through art. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple art teachers so far on the show. Do you feel like your background as an art teacher informs even how you are as a school leader? I feel like when I've when I visited your classroom, there's this simultaneous thing going on where you're really taking care of the kids, really being professional and pushing them, seeing that art is about both self-expression as well as seeing the world, but also getting nitty gritty on some of these tools mm -hmm. that are quite important and you, I, I could say maybe marketable for students' futures. Um, which of those aspects do you feel are probably at the heart of it for you um, in being an art teacher? That's a great question. Um, first and foremost, I want to say that as as an artist, I think I approach life um, just with a very like like I, I look at things differently. Um, I I tend to analyze things a lot, um, I, almost as if like I'm using des the design process when I I, I look at scenarios. Um, I try to be very detail oriented. Um, you can see that in my in my artwork um, as well as in my professional life in terms of how I approach different tasks or situations. Um, I think when I was teaching um, on the high school level, um, I was very in tune with with what kids were doing at the time, specifically music that they were into, um, the the clothes that they were into, just pop culture in general. And I, I was still young, um, so I. I whatever it is that kids were, were thinking about, um, I would go and do some research and think about like, how can I bring this back into um, their lives? Because I knew for myself, what helped me stay focused when I was in school is it was that it was relevant to me, that uh, the things that the teachers were talking about really connected with me. And it was me being able to do art in projects that I had, or me being able to really tap into the skills that I had that kept me focused and, and wanting to, to learn more. Um, so as an art teacher, I thought about what, where, where are these students sitting in my classroom? What are, they, what are they really interested in? But I also recognize that being able to do art is like lots of like self-discipline and lots of structure. Um, and oftentimes students come into an art class and say, oh, I can't draw. And I'm, you know, I did the same speech over and over and over again. Where it's not about just drawing, right? There's so many different ways that you can express yourself. I would always say that you can always express yourself through art. There's various media that you can use. You just need to find the one that uh, helps you be able to do that. 
Um, yes, we will learn how to draw. Yes, we'll learn how to paint. Yes, we'll learn how to do like arts and crafts or all these different uh, uh, types of uh, creating uh, art. However, part of it is like the discipline, the practice and learning. So the structure is what really came into play for me. Um, and that my stance with students has always been that don't tell me, show me. My, my, my teacher would always ask me, oh, what is it that you're doing right over here? And then I would try to explain it and then she'd say, don't tell me, show me. So it's through the actions or through the things that you, you're, you're trying to uh, um, convey, um, that's how people really get or understand what, is it, what it is that you're trying to communicate. Um, so a lot of the times uh, students in my class um, will get frustrated and I, I'd be like, yeah, it, art is not, not an easy thing to do. Um, and it takes practice. And I think with that discipline, it helps kids when they look in other, other classes, whether it be math or English, that like you have to do that continual practice and learning how to do something before you get better. Yeah. So. And I feel like in your class, as well as what you're doing now, mm -hmm. is in your class, you always had students um, follow their passions and try to get more independent, I feel, in their expression. And I feel <laughs> like that's how I've seen you also at the middle grades where I just see you with students and there's always a very deep respect, mutual deep respect, but also I feel like you're always trying to not answer the students' questions. Mm -hmm. um, you're still trying to be helpful, but you're not trying to have them be dependent on you. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is uh, a conscious decision of how you are an educator or is it just sort of a natural thing? It when I was student teaching, uh, I was working with middle schoolers and I, I had the opportunity to support them in their development as artists. And I had a sketchbook that I always had with me all the time. And this became a natural practice for me where a student would say, oh, I don't know how to draw this one thing. I don't know how to do this one thing. And I'd say, oh, um, I think I have some experience with this. Um, let's see. And I would you know, do a little sketch and, and they're like, yep, that's it. And then I would say, okay, and I'll close the book and I'll walk away. Um, in that moment, what they were looking for was for me to leave that page with them so that they can copy it or so that they can do something to make it look just like that. And what I would say to them is like, that's my work. That's my drawing that I did. I'm just showing you how I approach it. I want to see how you're going to approach it. What is the vision that you have? I want you to put it down on that paper. Um, and that's something that I would continue, uh, continue to do as I you know, move from middle school to high school is to help kids find their own vision and actually um, bring that into being, give life to that. Otherwise, we're just going to sit there and continue to like copy each other, and we're not going to have any uh, sense of self. So I really push them to, to think about that. What is it that you want to communicate? Mm -hmm. It's almost like you stop time, though, with students. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the they say that the best people are the folks who who you feel when you're in their presence that you're the only person. I feel like when I get to observe you mm -hmm. that you sort of stopped, even though you're very busy and and being at a school and being a school leader, there's so many. It, how, how are you able to make that happen? Where a student comes in, you're already working on something else. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a tough day. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden that student is the only person in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, when I stop and like really think about it, one of the things that I I value most is the relationships that I have with my students. Uh, I never I never tell them no um, in that moment. Um, they'll ask a question, and sometimes I'll ask more follow up questions. 
Um, and to some that might feel more of like a frustrating thing to do. But what I'm generally trying to show them is that I'm really interested in getting to know them and really getting, I'm trying to understand what is it that they uh, are lacking in terms of confidence. So I will take that time um, to work with them. And they'll know that when they come to me, what they're going to get. They know that I'm going to be there to push them and really support them and help them find something that um, they never thought was there. So oftentimes I I make it a point to go and sit with the, the students that I know are going to have a, a rough start. Um, sometimes I, I make strategic moves in terms of who sits at the front of the room with me or who gets to sit with their friends. Um, even in the art class, I try to have some kind of structure where kids know that like, yeah, you have the freedom to create and I'm going to create the conditions to help you bring that success for yourself. Um, I remember when I was in uh, high school and I was taking art class, um, being able to sit and talk with my friends about the things that we we're generally interested in got me to really stay focused and be able to do the work that I'm trying to do. Um, so I did a lot of listening. Oftentimes um, I would just sit there on my stool and, and observe, um, observe the conversations that are happening. And then I'll find some way to kind of dive into those conversations and say, yeah, that, that sounds really cool. I heard you guys talking about this thing. Um, how can you take what you just said and, 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 and communicate that in your work? Um, I think time for me is giving kids time to actually think about what it is they're trying to do, give them time to talk about it with their peers, and then also give them time to actually have quiet time to actually make sense. Um, so we would have quiet time. I had different signs around the room that said studio work time. Like, let's get into the, 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 the frame of mind of like, I need to like just sit with this work, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes and I'm, I have a blank paper. Like, I just need to sit in that moment, in that silence to really figure out the work. And then there's collaborative work time where I get to actually talk to my peers, get critiques on my work, get some feedback. Um, so I also created the conditions for those types of things. Sounds good. Ready to switch gears? Yeah, let's do it. Well, first, before we get into the article, I want to ask why you chose to be a subscriber of The Highlighter. Yes. Uh, I loved working with you when I was a digital media arts teacher. Um, you came in and uh, observed my classroom. And a lot of the things that you're bringing up now as questions, it, it's what you observed happening in my class. And you helped me also think about literacy and how I can bring that into an art, an art classroom. Um, that was really important to me and it's something that's stuck and in anything that I do now even as an administrator here at the middle school I really wanted to push that um, for our students um, make sure that our students are coming in reading at a gra at grade level and that they feel um, ready and prepared for high school um, so I think for me that was one of the most important things of jumping into the highlighter it was an opportunity for me to continue to 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 learn um, to, to become better uh, evaluator of sources. Um, a lot of the sources that are there um, come from you know various websites. Um, sometimes we get stuck with just the one resource that we know. Um, so it allows for me to be able to like read from different perspectives. But it's also important to also think about some of the things that are um, prevalent in our society. And there's lots of things about race that are coming up right now. Um, and the article really uh, helps to push my thinking around that. Um, our school's been talking about equity um, more recently and uh, delving into that area of uh, courageous conversations and I think the highlighter provides an opportunity for me to to develop um, 
my own voice where that is concerned. I've always taken a back seat um, in terms of like listening when it comes to conversations about race. Um, and uh, as I read more articles and um, look at the, the various opinions that are out there, I'm starting to develop my own. So I think it's, it's providing me with lots of uh, wonderful resources to, to think about. Yeah. And maybe someday there's going to be a, a student highlighter. Yeah. Um, it's something that I'm really pushing for, and I'm hoping that we can collaborate on that. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, we'll talk about that in this new year. All right. Um, let's get to the lead article. So this is an article by Michael Hobbs, and it's either called Generation Screwed or Millennials Are Screwed, um, seemingly what his <laughs> attitude is. Yeah. Um, let's dive in. So um, you got to read it, and did you have any first impressions? Well, my first impression was, wow, um, they went there. They they went the 8-bit the uh, animation and very hands-on uh, with the website, which is something that, you know, just like jumped out at me right away. I don't know if it's like a millennial thing. Um, uh, I read in the, one of the, the messages uh, or comments uh, on the, the Huffington Post, someone was like, oh, millennials need that kind of distracting bright light stuff to get them to finish reading an article. Um, and I chuckled a little bit because that was my first impression. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Let me keep I going. Totally <laughs> thought it was, yeah, I totally thought it was great, too. Um, but like, like, do you know even how that's constructed? I mean, I was just the idea that you're scrolling and that it makes it almost like a video game. Like that, that seems like a lot of formatting and a lot of coding. It, it also got me to reflect on that, too, because, you know, coding's like the big thing now. But I remember buying a HTML, HTML for dummies book like this thick. Um, and trying to like build my own website way back when and getting an FTP server and all these different things. But now you don't need all that. Now it's just like click and drag and drop. Um, so for me, just seeing that made me really think about how uh, millennials in a way really thought about the design and structures and lay layout of a, of a website and really did like the nitty gritty work. Mm -hmm. um, so the, I, I looked at all the names at the end and all the con uh, contributors to just making that website or making this article work. I was like, wow, a lot of folks went into doing that. And you don't see that nowadays. You just see the person that wrote the article. So right. it was really cool for me. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool too. And also what was weird is that the author, I sort of was like, do I know this author? And then he actually wrote a piece from last year that appeared in the highlighter too. And so I was like, there's something going on. And then right up front at the top of the article, he says, okay, I, uh, I'm also a millennial. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, and he, he sort of says that he's an older millennial. Yeah. And then he's, maybe he's like um, a millennial who can sort of talk and speak about all millennial experience. And then when we were chatting just a few minutes ago, you said that you are of a similar age. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question is, did you see yourself at all in this? Um, in this article or did you not sort of see yourself here? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, I definitely did. Uh, I, I saw myself in the article where it started talking about, uh, you know, the cost of college and just, you know, being in debt. Um, I saw myself in the article where it was, it was talking about, um, you know, the structures that were in place to really lead to where it is now um you know looking back at um education and thinking about what education was um um what education the purpose of education was uh way back in the 1950s and how we're still perpetuating a lot of the things that um uh kind of lead to societal 
um, indifferences. Um, it's something that I'm focusing on now as an administrator, really trying to transform the way that we um, really support our students and helping them to kind of achieve their goals. Um, they talked about the, the students getting a college degree. Um, I highlighted it specifically. It talked about getting a college degree is, is, is now just like something you check off and say, oh, I got it. Now, you know, a master's is kind of getting to that point now. It's like now you have to like get a PhD and maybe that's like, hey, you've really made it, you know? Um, I know that when I was getting uh, my master's degree, that was like a really big deal. Um, now everybody can get a master's <laughs> degree. Um, you can do it online, well, you know? So it was, it was really interesting for me to kind of see that that in the article. Yeah, and the problem though is that everybody is supposed to get a college degree or a master's degree, but then also pay for it. Yes. I mean, I remember actually there was a point in my teaching where it shifted. Mm -hmm. At the beginning it was go to the best college and don't really care about the money because you're going to be able to pay it off. Mm -hmm. And then there's something happened where that wasn't the best counseling anymore. Mm -hmm. Then where you actually had to either get a scholarship or you had to sort of see you know, how much debt are you going to actually be able to take? Um, and I feel like this guy, this author, um, is just incredible. He's continued to be incredibly, I think, angry. And for the most part, rightfully so, mm -hmm. because he talks to folks of the older generation like his dad. Mm -hmm. And and he just doesn't see that it's possible. Like a home, like owning a home is not mm -hmm. totally possible for him. Um, we're in the Bay Area, so we don't necessarily think it's possible for any of us. <laughs> yeah. But then also this idea of retirement security mm -hmm. um, and some of the basics. Um, do you feel like do you feel like this author was being a little bit too mean spirited, or do you think that he was sort of just telling the truth? I, I think it's kind of in between. Um... I think at the beginning of the article, it talked about how everyone says all millennials are like this one specific thing, and that's not necessarily the truth. I think um, we all have our different collective experiences, and that lends itself to how we actually go about um, things in life. I, I, I myself um, grew up in a, in a situation where um, the money wasn't always pouring in, but my mom made sure that we had a roof over our heads that we got a good college education like all those things she said to me you worry about school and I'll, I'll take care of all the expenses and all those other things um, that didn't necessarily mean she was gonna pay for it all you know, she took out loans and all those other things um, uh, and which then got transferred to me once I graduated um, but her doing and saying those things helped me recognize that like my education like came first and that like yeah, all those things, the, 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 the loans and money that I, I would have to pay later on in life, that um, will take care of itself when I am in the workforce. Um, but what happened, like the article talked about, is that like, you know, our economy is shifting up and down. And I was at a point when I got out of school, like I couldn't really find a job. Um, and I couldn't find a job with the degree that I had um, or with the master's degree that I had. Um, I was a little naive myself and I, I came all the way from the East Coast to California thinking, oh, I have a master's degree. I can get a, any kind of job that I want now as, in terms of being a teacher. Um, and California said, wait a minute, you're coming from another state. You need this license. You need this other specific thing. Um, 
and it made me think about the specific part specific part in the article where it said that like states started to kind of navigate this like trend of requiring licensure for specific jobs just to prevent lots of people having or having to apply for that one job right you want to be a plumber now you have to get this license so maybe you'll reconsider being a plumber now that you have to get this one license i got to that point at one uh once in my life where i was like is it really worth being a teacher if i have to go through all these hoops just to be a teacher like i already have all this debt that i have to pay i'm like i can go back to working retail just so that i can pay the bills but i'm like that's not what i, I want my life to be like i'm working just to pay bills um, I really believe in the education that I got and I really believe in what it is that I, 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 I set out to do in kind of changing lives and transforming lives. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll take this temporary position for now, but this is the ultimate goal. But a lot of us as millennials are continuously going through that cycle of like, okay, I'm going to do this for now, but this is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I picked up on that too. Like, I think that there's this animosity maybe between the generations of, oh, millennials don't suffer enough. Mm -hmm. uh, look at what I did coming out of college. And I really worked hard and sacrificed. And, and you can't expect a job coming out of college. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like something's happened. The article I thought was really good where even after you feel you might have some momentum, you don't have momentum. Mm -hmm. It's like maybe, let's say that you're 30 and... And maybe in the previous generation, people were married and also they were uh, they were getting to their first home, for example, whereas that that's not necessarily happening mm -hmm. um, anymore. But I still don't quite understand the mutual animosity that's mm -hmm. happening. I don't remember. Did this used to happen that the older generations used to? I guess it's always been true that the older generation doesn't necessarily like understand the generation uh, previous to it. And maybe it's just that you know i'm in the middle of things i suppose but but like i feel like do you do you pick up on it more so than or do you feel like the animosity it, I, I just feel well, i think there is um going back to your question before about the, the the author i think he also grew up in a generation where there's lots of distractions right um mm -hmm. like i mentioned that there was a comment made about like the website and the layout and how distracting it was and like that's what millennials need to get them to get through just reading a, a regular article mm -hmm. i mean you know there's an option to like read the, the normal part of the article by clicking that button i did it i was like it wasn't as flashy and it wasn't as interesting um but yeah there's video games we have a lot more things now that are really preventing kids from staying focused um you know, I think about now as administrator, like we have like cell phones and we have tablets and we have all these things that like draw our attention away from the things that maybe uh, adults think matter most um, and not necessarily thinking like, let me get down on the same level as the, the, the folks that I'm trying to support. What is it that they feel matters the most? How can we encourage them through those um, specific um, uh, areas? Uh, so I think what the older generation of the boomers don't seem to understand in this article is that yes you know there are all these flashy things that might distract millennials but there might be some creativity that's there that that's that's that they're they never had because they everything that they had was so structured and like you only did this one thing so that you can go and work in this one specific area and there's so many options out there I, when i was in college 
I was like, I want to be an illustrator. And then I was like, Ooh, I can take this one class. I can be an animator. Ooh, I can take this other class. I could be a photographer. Like, I don't want to get settled on one thing. And like, that's the only job that I have for the next 30 years of my life, right. which is something that they talked about in the article, right? Yeah. You go to college and you then get the degree to then work in the area that you'll work for the rest of your life. And like, Maybe there's something to that chaos where some folks are like, I want stability. And there's some folks that are like, I like trying new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and does that mean millennials are lazy? No, it means that um, we're adventurous. We, we're okay with trying different things. We're okay with, um, you know, maybe living like four people in one room <laughs> uh, until we can figure out where it is that we're going to be. Um, like there is a plan. I think folks have plans. It's just that sometimes the way that we go about doing it doesn't necessarily fit into a box, um, which is what, you know, the generation prior to us, that's how their lives were. Everything was like, you do this thing, then it leads to this. Mm -hmm. Um, The world is not that way anymore. It's changing. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it totally is. It totally is. And I think, though, that at the end of the article, I wish that he would have had more solutions. I was waiting for it. and, And partly he says, oh, we millennials can do more. But... He still seems to think that baby boomers should be doing more. But at this point, baby boomers are getting older. Unfortunately, they continue to run for office like well into their 70s. -hmm. But there was an interesting thing right there at the end Mm -hmm. where he's like, oh, we are actually going to be leading the country pretty soon. But I feel like he didn't have enough ideas there at the end. Mm -hmm. Like he did a great job talking about how horrible the plight of, (laughs) but then I was like, come on, what's the solution? Mm -hmm. And maybe uh, speaks to him being a millennial. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, but that's all talk and no solutions. (laughs) But that's all going to change really soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I agree with that. There wasn't necessarily a solution. It it didn't also, it wasn't, what's the term? wasn't necessarily like a growth mindset or uh, like a asset-based mindset. Right? Those are things that are kind of going around these days in terms of like, well, what we have in terms of our skill set and the things that we've um, kind of learned along the way in our education, um, we have the opportunity to make these specific changes, mm-hmm. right? Run for office. And I saw it in some of the comments. It was like, yeah, run for office. You need to do these things. So I think the people that commented on it on, on the article started to talk about solutions um, because it can easily go negative, right? It could just be this like shouting match back and forth um, that never gets to a solution. Um, but I, what I appreciated about the article is that, it, that it, it spoke the truth of a lot of millennials and it, it, it allows for possibility of like dialogue to happen that says, hey, let's move in this direction because we need to figure out how to solve this. We're not going to have social security. We're not going to have all these things when right. we get when we get older. Um, just like living in the now is not going to going to work, right? The now generation, as they call the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here, so we can keep on talking. Yeah, but, you know, at some point, you know, I, you know, we have to say uh, that that the show has to come to end, yes, which is sure. very sad. But mm-hmm. I do have one last question, mm-hmm. which is okay. So we have a situation now that. At least in the Bay Area, I would say that the great majority of our students, middle school and high school students, are being taught by millennials. Mm -hmm. And so you have this idea of a millennial teacher in general probably won't be a career teacher for many, many reasons, and yet is also currently teaching young people about sort of how to be. Mm -hmm. 
what do you do with all of that? Like, do you think that um, the state of teaching and learning is different because of that? Or do you think that millennials at this point have an idea of what education means that's different from a prior or uh, a prior generation for our young people? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Very deep, too. Um, yeah, I never stopped to think about that. Yeah, you have millennials that are teaching kids right now and um, with the, the pervasive problems that we have going on in our society. Um, I, I can see... Uh, specifically with myself and a lot of folks that I work with that, you know, there's a big push for transforming education, right? Um, It starts with education. And once we start to transform the way that we uh, teach our students, the way that uh, students receive information and how they they go about uh, going into the real world, maybe that is the way that we're looking at things of how they're going to change moving forward. Um, It starts with how students learn. Um, it starts with bridging that achievement gap because I think a lot of the d- disproportionate um, data that we saw in in, um, in the article also lends itself to well how how are kids being educated and how are they um, being given the equal opportunities to reach that same goal right if we say that like the ultimate goal is that everyone should be able to live the life that they want be able to afford a home and do all these things we also have to give them the same type of education that folks who already have that money maybe passed on from their families or through generations. We have to provide that opportunity for them to actually learn how to actually get that. Um, a lot of kids don't, right? They they learn some of the basic th- things that get them to be able to like get a, a minimum wage paying job. Um, and I, I think what most of our country doesn't recognize is that um, education is one of the ways that will help free us of some of that that burden um getting kids to be part of uh the 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 political system helping them kind of transform that if we don't like the way things are right now but they have to understand the things that came before that and then understand what's going on now in the political climate um so i think we're very in tune as educators or as millennials as educators to what's going on in our society and the things that we know that we want to see change that we're at an opportunity to help teach and engage our students to make sure that they can get there um, if we don't thanks omar yeah thank you so much for being on the show thank you i appreciate this time love the highlighter if you don't already subscribe go ahead and do that and then also i'm just going to go ahead and plug this but there's also the podcast uh the podcast is really easily easily downloaded if you just go to itunes look up the highlighter just type it in the highlighter and it'll it'll pop up and then you can subscribe. I did it myself the other day and it's so cool. I could do it right from my phone. Just plug in my headphones and I'm good. We'll bring you back every week, Omar. Thank you. Great. Thank you. <laughs>
issue of the highlighter coming out this Thursday at 9 10 a.m. It's going to be issue number 125 which I'm pretty excited about and there's like 20 or 30 new subscribers so it's going to be great to welcome them too. Have a great week everybody and I'll see you soon.